Good to see you all. We're going to start in 1 Thessalonians 2 this morning, so why don't you turn there. We're going to start in verse 7. It says this, But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom in glory. Let's pray. Father, we pray for your word today to do its work in our hearts. We pray, Father, that you would continue to be with us. We thank you, Lord, that we can praise your name openly in this country. We thank you, Lord, that we can gather. We thank you that we can be adopted into your family by the blood of your son, Jesus. And I pray, Father, we'd have receptive hearts to the working of your spirit today in our lives. And that you would continue to sanctify us more and more for your glory. Amen. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we looked at the first couple characteristics that Paul talks about regarding his ministry to the Thessalonians, where he talked about being gentle, and then he talked about being affectionately desirous. This week, we're going to look at the apostles' um, ministry in terms of his readiness of helping to share two different things. The first thing we're going to see, and if you look at verse 8, you'll be able to notice it. He says that they were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. So first, let's talk about sharing the gospel of God. Here's the thing. When you really love others, it puts you in a position to be ready to do two things. But first, I want to ask you this. Can you love others? Can you truly love others and not love God? Yes or no? I can't hear you all. Okay. Can you truly love God and not love others? No. Okay, so they're, they're kind of linked together, right? So even when Jesus is saying the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, love your neighbor as yourself, I mean, they're, they're linked, right? If you're going to love God, then by extension, you will love your neighbor. And in order to love your neighbor, you have to first love God. And why are we able to love? Because he first loved us. That is important. We can love, we can do ministry, we can serve others, we can have a heart for others because of what God already did for us. He showed us love, he showed us the pattern of love, he showed us the example of love, and then we can receive that 
respond to it, have it change us, have it affect us, and then in turn go and love others. So he's saying that he was ready to share. Now here's the thing. This was something that the apostle, Paul, he committed to doing this. The wording there in the Greek leads us to understand that it was an intentional act of the will. Okay? An intentional act of the will. He willed to do this. And it was not some just willy-nilly last-minute decision, not some rash approach he decided to take, but it was an intentional, thought-out disposition towards the Thessalonians. That's how, when we're thinking about loving others, when we're thinking about sharing the gospel, that's what our approach should be, ready to share. So when you really love others, it puts you in a position to do two things. One, it puts you in a position to share the gospel. I was talking to a lady earlier this week, and I'm, you know, when I'm talking to people, I'm, I'm looking for opportunities to try to, to try to guide that conversation towards the gospel. All right? Sometimes those opportunities, you can get there, sometimes you can't. But I'm always looking. I'm always ready. And so I'll ask different questions. And this time I just asked, and it's a pretty non-threatening question, just, do you go to church anywhere? I mean, that's pretty non-threatening. I mean, you know. So that's what, that was my question after we had talked for a little bit. Do you go to church anywhere? And, and she said, no, I'm, I'm an atheist. And she went on to, to talk about how, you know, well, you know, that some people need to go to church, and that, that's comforting to them, and, and that's what they need in their life. And, and so at once, you know, she paused. I said, well, I go to church, and, and, and I believe in Jesus, and, and it is comforting to me, but, that, but that's not why I believe it. And I just paused for a split second, because I wanted her to kind of take that in, like, oh, he's, you know, because her argument was they're going because it's, it's comforting, right? And I wanted to realize that, oh, now she's talking to someone who, who might get comfort from it, but, but that's not why he, he goes to church, and so I went on to explain, like, I believe that when we talk about faith, that there's evidence that backs up our faith, that we're not just believing something blindly, and I'm, I believe it because I believe it's factually true. I believe it because there's evidence that supports the veracity of the claims of the scriptures. And she kind of, I mean, it just caught her off guard a little bit. But we need to be ready in those, op- in those instances and I just, I don't know, you can, people call it different things, but I just, you know, I think of like a spiritual radar. We just have to have our spiritual radar on when we're talking with people to look for those opportunities and try to shift the conversation towards more spiritual things. Even if it's a small thing, a small little thing, you know, as, as one of my favorite apologists says, you know, we're looking to put a stone in someone's shoe. We're wanting them to pause and kind of think. So he, she has to chew on that. She kind of took the conversation in a different direction really wasn't interested in talking too much more past that on spiritual things. But at least she, she met someone, and she talked with someone. who Now she has to pause and think a little bit. Well, I met a guy that he's, he's not going to church. He's not believing those things because it's comforting. I mean, he, he, he likes the fact that it's comforting, and there is comfort in it. But now he's believing it for a different reason. And, and she has to process that and chew on it, putting a stone in her shoe. So we want to be ready to share the gospel. But notice what he also says. He was ready to share, what's it say? Our own selves. Our own selves. So when he says our own selves, I mean, he's talking about his life. He's talking about his giftings. He's talking about his willingness to share 
his very self with the Thessalonians. Friends, we need this, we need a willingness to share our lives with others, to share our lives right here amongst our church. And I think, I think in part, that's what the church is about. It's about fellowshipping with one another. And if we want that, we have to be willing to open up a little bit. I will admit I need to grow in this area. I think it's been hard recently for everyone to practice this second part of sharing ourselves because we've been distanced. We've been distanced. It's hard to do it from a distance. It's hard to do it through text. It's hard to do it through phone calls. It's hard to do it through emails. You know, we've tried to the best of our ability. One of my questions I've been thinking about, though, is this. Like, what are we missing out on in our current, current state? What are we missing out on? Because, you know, churches are, I feel like we're just kind of half open. Because some of our ministries are, are limited. Some of our ministries aren't happening. So we're, we're kind of half open. Even just looking out here, things are different. It makes me sad when I hear people say, the only thing different in our church life, I haven't heard this from anyone here, by the way. The only thing different in our church life is that we don't have to drive to church. Like, think about that for a second. These friends, you know, church is, is more than just a Sunday service. It's more than just 60 minutes on Sunday. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he called it life together. Life together. He wrote a whole book on it, a very small book, but a very powerful book. Life together. Like, where's our involvement? Because a lot of times you hear people talk about going to church, going to church. I I don't really care for that term so much. It it just gives us the idea that we we go somewhere and we're there for a little bit and and then we leave. We sit there for an hour, we go home, and then we repeat it next week. Now, God wants us not just going to church, he wants us involved in church. Because what does that even mean, though, when we talk about being involved in church? It means we're participating in the life of the body. Look at Acts 2 for a moment. In verse 38, Peter's wrapping up his gospel presentation. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm in Acts 2.38. For the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000. That's amazing. And what did they do? Look at verse 42. It says they, they went back to their homes, and then once a week they came to church for 60 minutes. Oh, sorry. No. That's the modern watered-down Christianity. Look what they did, friends. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, 
to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That's what they did. That's what they did. And look, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Go down to verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. I mean, the idea we get with the early church, the example that's set, is it's, it's a whole lot more than just one day. They're doing life together. Think about this for a second, friends. <clears throat> Did Jesus die to, to simply redeem just individual believers with their own little self-autonomy? I mean, did he just die to save you and you and you just individually? No. He died to save us collectively. Think about this for a moment. Think about this. Yes, you, each of you are individually saved. God does his work. He gives you his saving grace and saving faith. But what was he interested in accomplishing? Yes, your salvation. Absolutely. But look at 1 Peter 2, because this is important. You've got to remember, Scripture, 1 Peter 2, Scripture ties together, it complements itself, and it weaves together a nice, beautiful tapestry that we can read from beginning to end and see cohesion throughout. 1 Peter 2. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So he's choosing a people for his own. And he sets them aside, a chosen race, a royal priesthood. These are distinct things, a holy nation, and a people for his own possession. That's what Jesus was doing in his redemption for us. Yes, individually, but corporately. A people for his own. And look at 1 Corinthians 11. Because I want you to notice something here. This is what he says in verse 18. For in the first place, when you come together as a church. Now, is that what your version says or something close to it? When you come together. When you come together, does that does you say that? As a church, okay? I mean, notice it doesn't say if you come together. This is when you come together. I mean, he's just, he, he's like assuming that's just part of the norm. When, when you come together. Okay, then, then, he, then he goes on. I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. We're going to get to that later. <clears throat> but he assumes when you come together. He assumes it is the practice of the Corinthians to gather as God's people. They come together. What do they come together as? The church. When you come together as a church. This is why belong 
is so important in our vision statement. Belong to what? All right, I heard one person say it. Belong to the body of Christ. Belong to the body of Christ. All right, do you belong to the body of Christ? Okay. And then the question is, in what way do you belong to the body of Christ? Because there's, there's two aspects. When you talk about belonging to the body of Christ, the first aspect, the most important, is you being a member of a church of Jesus Christ. Not a church, a local church, but being part of what we might call the universal church. You have united yourself with Christ. You are now part of the church where he is the head. You're part of the body. You have joined yourself together with Jesus through his sacrifice. That's the first aspect. The second is the body of Christ, and that does mean like a local church. You belong to the body of Christ. You're a member somewhere. Membership matters, and you've plugged in there. So you got belonging to Jesus, you got belonging to a local body. I'm not just talking about attending, not just going to church, but you're involved, you're serving, you're fellowshipping, you're ministering, you're receiving ministry. And here's my question for us. It really gets into the second key word of our vision statement, which is flourish. Can we flourish without one another? Okay, I got a little illustration. You can just keep the camera on the pulpit. We're going to do a little illustration here, all right? I'm, I have a couple helpers that are going to help me with this. All right. My first helper, I've got some weights here. You got to, you know, because the scripture says to wait upon the Lord, all right? <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> Just wait. <laughs> all right, see if we can keep we can keep doing this. All right, Ethan, Ethan, give it up for Ethan Bond. All right, we got a 10-pound weight, Ethan, and a 30-pound weight. Which one, which one do you want to lift? 10-pounder. Can you give that a little curl? All right, let's see. Let's do a couple of those. Look at that. All right, all right. Go ahead and put it down. Don't, don't leave yet. Do you, do you, 30 pounds? No? All right, all right. Good job. <clears throat> Let's see, we, I need, I'm going to have one more volunteer. I already talked to him beforehand. Give it up for Logan Bond. All right, we got 10 pound and 30 pound. Which one are you going to do? <laughs> No, if you if you can do the thirty, let's see, let's see, let's you know. Should we should we uh, should we lift up the? No. <laughs> there we go. All right. Thank you. All right, so we got a ten pound weight and a thirty pound weight. Which one 
if I wanted to get in shape, which one, if I can lift them both, let's put that as the, the assumption, which one is going to help me get into shape better, get bigger muscles, be more, or the 30, all right? So <clears throat> I feel like the 10-pound weight is, is us just by ourselves trying to grow spiritually. So if you're on some deserted island by yourself, and you got the Word of God, like, and you're reading that, like, you can grow. You can grow spiritually. Um, it's going to be a limited growth. You got the, you, you're going to have the 10-pound weight. All right? Um, if, if you want to grow, though, you need that. If you want to keep growing, you know, e- Ethan's at, is where he's at in his physical stature. He can't, he can't do the 30 pounds. Ain't nothing wrong with that, right? But if, if you want to grow spiritually, you, you want to have more than that 10-pound weight. You want that 30-pound, and that is going to take other believers. That, that, that represents other believers helping us to grow. Even if you want to take that analogy a little bit, I mean, if you ever go to the gym and someone wants to do some bench pressing, a lot of them have what's called uh, someone with them. What are they called? Spotters. Spotters. Uh, how do you guys know the answers to some of these non-spiritual questions? I'm like, what's the second word of the, of the vision statement? You're like, oh, anyway. That's all right. That's all right. But y'all know spotters. <laughs> but you have a spotter. Why? I mean, they're helping you, they're, but they're also there as kind of a safety net, right? They're helping you out. And those spotters... But think about it. If, you are, if you're working out and you're like, man, I know I can do 105 pounds bench press, but I, I want to work up to 115. I'm going to try 115 today. Do you really think if you're a wise bodybuilder, you're going to, if you're going to shoot for that without someone there to spot you? No. What's going to happen? You're going to end up with that thing, and you're not going to be able to place it back on the bar because you're, you know, you're going to be doing one of them things, anyone that's ever worked out, right? Start shaking and everything, and you can't get it back on the bar. See, you need others to help you grow. That, that's, that's the application. You've got to have others involved in your life. You have to be involved in other people's lives. So <clears throat> as challenging as people can be, as much as they can try you, they also are there to help you grow, to minister to you, to love you, to encourage you. Remember all those verses that we've been talking about, all those one another verses. Okay, just go into a Bible concordance online, type in one another. Look at all the one another verses, things we're supposed to be doing, ministering to one another. Look at James chapter 4. Sorry, not 4, chapter 1. Verse 19, it says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, Flow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I think we've been falling short with this verse in our own lives this past week and in previous weeks. Two people I know told me they had to take a break from social media because it was affecting them so negatively. And I was on it just a few days ago, and I, I, got, I literally got sick to my stomach reading what people were writing 
online. I had to stop, I had to get off my computer, and I had to go pray for a long time. Literally sick. Both sides, no love, no grace, no wisdom, no compassion. And that's not Christ-like at all. Friends, we have to be careful, all of us, because we are in danger of self-righteousness. We are in danger of self-righteousness. Look at Luke 18. Verse 9 says this, Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. We have to be careful with the condition of our heart and what we're saying and what we're not saying. We have to be very careful because self-righteousness is a dangerous sin. Notice how it says in verse 9 that they, he trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Where is the trust place? in themselves. So we have to be careful with an attitude that says, <clears throat> I'm glad I'm not like those people marching, holding up signs, giving into the social gospel. Because be honest with yourself, that's some of you. And that's self-righteousness. Because you're wagging your finger at those people. And then on the flip side, I'm glad I'm not like those people sitting at home not posting anything on Facebook, not out here marching. Their Christianity is just in name only. And be honest, that, that's some of you. That's self-righteousness. Because what happens is we get an attitude where we think, oh, I wish everyone was as lightened as I am and thought exactly like I do. Then they'd know the truth. That's self-righteousness. You're thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. And Jesus ends that parable talking about what key word? Humility. Humility. So all of us need to check our hearts. And friends, we are in clear danger, clear danger of playing right into the enemy's hands. Seriously. He wants nothing more than to see Christians fighting and tearing one another apart. Satan gets all the glory for that, God gives none. He loves that. So all of us need to, need to pause a little bit and, and give grace and give tons of grace. Listen, friends, on the, on the day of judgment, I don't know what you're going to be doing, um, but I'm not really going to be so concerned about 
uh, everyone else standing in whatever line they're standing in. I I'm going to be pleading the blood of Jesus for myself. And that's what I hope each of you is doing. Not, oh, I wonder what th what's happening over there. I wonder what's we're going to be concerned about our righteous or unrighteous standing before God because at that moment, it's going to be you and it's going to be him. It's not going to be you and him and all those people you criticize or you and him and all those people you were better than. It's going to be you and him and you have to give an account. And I hope and I pray for each one of you that you have Jesus there to mediate your behalf. He can do that. But you're going to have to stand and give account. Jesus is pretty clear. Every careless word said will have to account for it. Let's be honest. I've said a lot of careless words. I've said a lot of hurtful words. I've said a lot of unkind words. Have you? And we, Jesus said we, we're going to have to account for that. This past week alone, there's been a lot of unkind careless, uncharitable, un-God-pleasing words. And friends, there's, there's only one response to that, and it's repentance. It's repentance. Listen, can, can the foot flourish without the leg? No. Can the hand flourish without the arm? No. So the, the person to your left, the person to your right, the person in front of you, the, the person behind you, you need them. You might not know you need them. Some of you do, but you need them. And, you know, one of the things <clears throat> that makes me feel a little bit self-comforted, probably not in the great way, but even in 1 Corinthians 11 that I read, you know, he was saying, when you come together as the church, and he's like, oh, there's divisions. And there's divisions in the early church. They had their challenges, and we have our challenges. But guess what? It's incumbent upon us to deal with the challenges that we have inside the church and outside the church together and walk in love with one another. We have to fight against a spirit of criticalness, a critical spirit. It's so easy to have. I've been guilty of it. It is so easy to criticize. It's so easy to be the critic. It's so easy to tear others down. Friends, anyone, anyone, anyone can see the negative. Anybody. Negative, negative. Yeah, that's easy to do. But that's not what we're called to do. And let me just interject something. A critical spirit <clears throat> and logical thinking are, aren't the same, but sometimes they get confused. And so someone thinks, oh, I'm just, I'm just thinking logically about the situation. I'm just thinking clear-headed. No, it's really a critical spirit. Now, those, those are separate, but they get conjoined sometimes wrongfully. Look at what Philippians 4 says. Verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about what you did yesterday. All right? Go through in your mind. You know, you woke up, 
then you got your day going. Maybe for some of you it's 8 o'clock in the morning. Maybe for some of you it's 11 o'clock in the morning. It's Saturday, that's all right. But what did you do yesterday? Think through that and think through some of the things that you did. And what was your overall demeanor of the day? What was the things going through your mind throughout yesterday alone? Was it true? Was it honorable? Was it just? Was it pure? Was it lovely? Was it commendable? Was it excellence? Was it worthy of praise? That's what we're supposed to be thinking about. This isn't the idea of, oh, the power of positive thinking. No, this is just following what the scriptures say. You know, bad company, what's it do? It corrupts good morals. You know, if you're thinking on the things of God, guess what that does for your heart? Gives you a heart for the things of God. So a lot of times people are like, oh, I'm dealing with this, I'm dealing with this. Like, well, I mean, just follow the scriptures, friends. I, I know it's easy to say, it's hard to follow out, but Philippians 4. Think on these things. Think on these things. And some of us just, you got to hit the pause. You, you know, maybe you need to take a little social media fast. A couple people did. I had to get off that particular day. What is good for your soul? What is good for your soul? God wants you to be walking in righteousness before him. you got to make decisions about what is good or not. Some of you might need to have some conversations with one another. That's fine, too. We should be spiritually mature enough to be able to receive those conversations. We should be spiritually mature enough to know we need to have those conversations. That's okay. we got to walk in love. And friends, God is gracious to forgive. Amen? What does he want to see from his children? A repentant spirit. He wants us to walk in humility. He wants us to walk in humility towards one another. So we need to repent. We need to repent of our sins, of whatever might reside in our heart, of our self-righteousness, of our critical spirit, of our wagging our finger at other people. That, this, that stuff is not from the Lord. Okay, whether our position might be right or not, it's not from the Lord. So we need to have a heart set on the things of the Lord. We need to have a heart that walks in humility, and we need to have a heart that is a repentant heart. And I would like us to have a time. I'm going to have Chris come up. I'm going to give you all an opportunity to pray. You can pray out loud. You can just pray quietly. But I think we need a time, a few minutes, for us to reflect on where we're at with the Lord and what we might need to do. And it starts with repentance. So let's pray. And then I'll let you all pray. God, be here with us. We know you are. Send your spirit to do his work. And give each of us, right now, as we come before your throne, Father, give us a spirit that is humble before you. A spirit that's broken before you. A spirit that's tender to receive 
whatever you might have to say to us and to receive it from you in love. And give us hearts of repentance, Lord. Bless now, Lord, as we spend some time in prayer. Thank you, Father, that you are good to us even when we're not good to you. And Father, I pray that and ask that we would walk in a spirit of humility and repentance. Give us a godly love for other members in liberty, for other brothers and sisters in Christ outside of liberty. Give us a love for unbelievers. Continue to work in us, God. Continue to have your way with us. And Father, I pray that each one of us would set our heart on you and run to you and run with you, God, wherever you might go, that we would follow faithfully. We thank you that you are the great God and King. You are our Savior, and that you are faithful. We love you, Lord. Amen.